G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. It says all have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody tried, nobody made it. Nobody. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. Rerouting as a series has been amazing, and we've looked at how we can change or reroute our lives to be in line with God's Word and with the example of Jesus. This message is the final in the series. We're looking at what it means to walk with God and how to be ready for when God comes to take us home. We'll hear the rest of it now. Pastor Jeff is in the middle of asking, where did all the good people go? Let's see what he says about that here on Today with Jeff Vines. Jake Johnson wrote the song, Where Did All the Good People Go? I have the answer. They were never here in the first place. As a matter of fact, the good people meter is on zero. In Romans 3.10, there's no one righteous, not even one. This is the Bible's word for good. There are no good people around. No good people. The Bible goes on to say, therefore, no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. If you think one day you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, great job, dude, come on in. Way to keep the law. Man, you were awesome. Pow, come on in. The Bible says, Bible says that's just not going to happen. Rather, verse 20 says, rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. The only reason God gave the law was not so that you could keep it perfectly to earn your way into heaven, was that so that you would look at your life and know, God is holy, I'm not. If I'm going to get in, I'm going to need some help. And at that point in your life when you realize you don't measure up and you cry out for mercy is the time that you get on the right road and good things start to happen. Now, stay with me. There's one other little issue, though, because sometimes after I've had this conversation with somebody, they'll say, no, no, Jeff, 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 Jeff. You're taking this thing way too seriously. It's not about being perfect. Now, at that point, I want to interrupt and I say, whoa, whoa. If you choose to relate to God on the basis of law, it is about being perfect. If that's what you choose, if you choose the way of law, you got to be perfect because the standard is not me. The standard is God and he's perfect. And if you're going to try to get into heaven by law keeping, then you can't break even one. But here's what they'll do. They'll say, no, 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 Jeff. It's not about perfection. It's about a type of relative righteousness. I love this. You know what they're saying, don't you? Here's what they're saying. They're not talking about their relatives. They're talking about the reality that if you and I were to go to Africa, just, the, just you and I, two of us, and a line started to chase us, 
I don't have to outrun the lion. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Righteous law-keeping holds the position that I don't have to be perfect. I just got to be better than most people around me. And there are so many people I meet that won't say it, but they believe God grades on the curve. And if you were ever in geometry class, you know there's always one kid that blows it for everybody else. <laughs> the problem is, they think they'll get in line behind a Hitler or Stalin. And I always ask them, what if you get in line behind Mother Teresa and Billy Graham? This whole idea of God grading on a curve is total subjective. It's a system you made up to make yourself feel better and to live with yourself. But it's nowhere in the scripture. You think about it. The good people go to heaven system is convenient for you for a lot of reasons. The primary one being that if you get to the end of your life and the scales are being tipped in the wrong direction, you can always do a bunch of good stuff to even it out. You can buy Girl Scout cookies or help the homeless and do something to kind of weigh it back. So again, you're in control. You're in control. Jesus, primary message and what makes him distinct from every other religious leader ever to have lived is that he said, if you try to get into heaven and eternality with God by doing good things, you're doomed. And that road ends to destruction. But the good news is, and I believe if you lost your Bible somehow, you know, you were somewhere, but somehow you were able to read this one section of scripture in Romans 1, 16 through 18. I believe that you'd get the core of the gospel. And here's what the gospel says. I am not ashamed of the gospel. That means good news for it is the power of God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whose power? Oh, so it's not your power. It's not your power that saves you. It's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That just means it's open to everyone. As a matter of fact, out of all the major world religions, Christianity is the only one that embraces all people groups, all languages, both male and female, equally. And says that the kingdom of God is available to all men and women. It goes on to say, for in it the righteousness of God. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Now, righteousness, whose righteousness? You mean it's not your righteousness that gets you in? It's God's righteousness? That that word is a word that means there are two ways to be right before God. One is to keep the law perfectly. The other is to pay the penalty for breaking it. You with me? Keep it perfectly or pay the penalty. The problem is no man or woman's able to keep it perfectly. But the problem with the penalty is the wages of sin is death. So God in his brilliance and because he loves us, knowing we can't keep it perfectly, and knowing that he doesn't want to separate himself from us through death, sends his son to die on the cross. And the penalty of your sin and mine, Jesus takes the sins of the world on his shoulders and he dies the death you should have died. And now because of that, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And your eternality, your eternity with God is secure, not in how good you are, but on what Jesus did when he took your sins and he nailed them to the cross and God credited that to your account. Which means this, that we will live from faith to faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. Not by goodness, not by how good you are, but by faith that what Jesus did is good enough to put you in 
a relationship with God the Father so that good people do not go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. And the question is, are you one of them? Now, usually I would stop there and we'd start dunking people in the pool and have an invitation and it'd be it. But I'm not going to do that because I've never given the opportunity to say what I need to say next. And that is this. Yes, the road that leads to eternal life is only one. And it's through the cross of Jesus Christ who died for your sins and put you in a right relationship with God the Father. But folks, there are some byproducts of a person who's on the right road. Christianity is not a loophole. Oh, I got this loophole. I don't have to be good. I don't have to do anything. And I just kind of claim the cross thing and that's good. I go back to my own. No, no, no. The Bible says there are some byproducts. What I mean by that, there are some natural results of a person who is traveling on the road of faith and grace. They don't do these byproducts in order to earn favor with God. Favor with God's already been earned by what's been done on the cross. But show me somebody, says the Bible, that is understood and is on the road of grace and faith. And I'll show you somebody who has three things in their lives. The first is this. They pursue God in relationship. Guys, do you remember how you treated your wife before you were married? And ladies, before you married your husband? Do you remember the hours you would spend in conversation, just getting to know each other and learn everything you could about each other? Remember those that you, I mean, you, you took long walks by the beach or where you just wanted to know this person. And the more you got to know them, the more you loved them. And the more you loved them, the more you wanted to be with them. The Bible says that a person who really understands and has had their heart melted by God and what he's done to bring us into eternity is the person who wants to know that God. Not out of an effort to earn salvation, but just because they want to know the God who loves them so much to give up his only son that we may live forever with God in eternity. The psalmist says in Psalm 63, you God are my God. Is he your God? Earnestly, I seek you. Do you seek him? I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Do you want him more than anything else? In a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. The thing I learned in my anxiety disorder was that this world has nothing to offer me. Nothing. That what I'm looking for is God. And if you're on the road of grace and faith that leads to eternality with God... There is a byproduct in your life. You're not perfect at it, and there are seasons where you don't seek him. You do go up and down like a roller coaster. But if I were to look over the whole of your life, there would be this commonality of seeking to know God. Is that you? Is that you? Are you pursuing God? And if you're not, man, you've got to ask yourself, did I ever choose the right road, or was I just looking for a loophole? You know, I make a lot of mother-in-law jokes, don't I? Okay, I'm going to come clean with you. The reality is I have the greatest mother-in-law on the planet. Um, ever since I've known my mother-in-law, she's gotten up 5 or 5.30 in the morning and done her devotions and prayer. She has no idea what that has done to her grandchildren. Because when you see a grandma who does that, it just you've got a grandmother who lives her life for a purpose greater than herself, and it changes everybody around them. I asked her if I could interview her a couple of days ago, and I went into her bedroom, sat down on the floor, and I said, look, I... I want to know, and I had to do this kind of sensitively because my question was, now that you're an old lady, and see, you can't start out like that, but I was trying to say, now that you're old, 
What has God shown you in all these years? Has he shown you some things? Because I was thinking maybe he has shown her some things that I have not yet seen that maybe I could cheat and she would tell me. (laughs) And she said, the one thing that her devotional life has done is it has made her unafraid because she knows that God is always with her. See, that's the byproduct of pursuing God, that the world is not as threatening as it once was. When she said that, I immediately thought of one of my favorite statements. Religious people pursue God that they might get things, but Christians pursue God that they might get God. Because when you have God, you don't need anything else. Is that you? The second byproduct is this. They pursue purity and righteousness. There's an assumption in scripture that if you're on the right road of grace and faith, that you still pursue holiness and purity in your life, but not because you're trying to earn heaven but because you don't want to wound the heart of God. You know that all sin wounds the heart of your father and you don't want to do that. So when you do fail and you will, it breaks your heart because you know it breaks God's heart. I grew up in a strict home, but I knew that my father loved me. And as I got to know my father and his love, I began to trust him that he wouldn't ask me to do anything that would hurt me and he would prevent me from doing things that would harm me. And over the years, I began to obey because I trusted, because I loved And obedience always led to the eternal type, abundant type life. That's the way it is with God. And I have to ask you, are you looking for a loophole? Or does your sin wound you? And are you doing battle with God right now in some area of your life, but you're ignoring him? See, the person who's on the path of grace and faith, they hate the sin in their life. Doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they hate it and they're wounded by it and they're sad. And if you are, if that's you, and you notice what I said, I didn't say you were perfect. I just said that when you do fail, it, it kind of wounds you and you wish you hadn't and you want to do better. If that's you, that's a sign that you're on the road that's leading you to eternal life. And that's a great road to be. So can I ask you, is there some area of your life that you're fighting against God and you're deciding that you're going to make the rules instead of God? You know what the problem with that is? God said to Adam and Eve, you can either serve me in the garden or you can rule in the desert. You can serve me in the garden or you can rule in the desert. And if you want to be the boss of your life, it's going to be desert living. And that's the wrong road. There's a third and final one. The people who are on the right road, they hope and wait in faith. Now, this is the most important point. I want to dwell on it just a second then I'm done. I think we misunderstand this more than any other text. First Peter one says in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection, a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then he goes on to say, this inheritance is kept for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We miss this because heaven is not compensation. It's not compensation. That's not what heaven's about. You know, if you and I get in a car accident and it's my fault, my insurance company will compensate you and restore your car. That's compensation. Heaven is not, hey, you suffered a lot down there. Come on up here. I'll pay you for what you did. No. Heaven is not compensation. Heaven is renewal and restoration. It's renewal and restoration. In the reality that whatever you lost here, whatever you gave up here, will be replaced to an infinitely greater degree 
If you lost someone that you loved in heaven, you'll experience love as you've never experienced it before and never thought possible. If you gave up something here, it's not that that thing is replaced, but you're given something beyond your wildest dreams, something that just far exceeds anything you've ever lost or given up. It's not compensation. It's renewal. It's restoration. The relationships, the people that we lost, the loved ones we lost, it's not that you're just replaced. They're replaced to an infinitely greater degree. And your relationship with them in the world that is to come is far greater and far more intense than anything you could ever imagine. And that is not more true in any other area than with God. What you experience here is just a foretaste, a foreshadowing of what one day we will be with God and experience with those around us who lived that life and walked that road that Enoch walked with God all their lives. Hey, do you remember the movie Lord of the Rings? At the end, Sam Gamgee, he finds out that Gandalf is not dead, his good friend. And he asks an interesting question. He says, wait a minute. And his inference is this. Does that mean that in eternity, everything sad will become untrue? What a great line. And the answer is yes. Now, when I talk about this to skeptics, and even to some of you saying, wait a minute. See, that right there is why I can't become a Christian, Jeff. You guys are loony. How can sad things? You're telling me that things happen down to me, uh, down here on earth to me. You're telling me those things become untrue? Look, I can tell you my life was tough. I lost people that I loved. We lost a child. We, I lost a husband. I lost a wife. I suffered greatly in this season. Of my, you're telling me all those sad things become untrue? Yes. Yes. That one day, you'll be able to look back over everything. And you'll see how all those events in your life were related to hundreds of other events in your life and that God in the whole scenario was bringing about his good and perfect plan for the restoration and renewal of mankind. Now, hold on before you say, whoa, wait, that's, that's platitude, Jeff. Platitude sounds good, but I don't think... You... Wait a minute. The cross. Did it appear as though God had lost the battle against evil? Did it appear that a good man died for no reason? How is it possible that a guy who was sinless who did nothing but help and heal, is nailed on a tree, he's bleeding to death, and you think this sad thing is going to become untrue? Yes, because God was redeeming the world. And you don't know what he was doing in your life because you're not God, but one day, everything will be renewed and restored to an infinitely greater degree and you will smile and everything sad will become untrue. Billy Graham says this. He says, in my travels, I have found that those who keep heaven in view remain serene and cheerful in the darkest day. If the glories of heaven were more real to us, if we lived less for material things and more for things eternal, we would be less easily disturbed by this present life. Can I ask you, is that you? Is that you? Did you come to God in faith by what Jesus did and claim that? Are you pursuing God? Are you pursuing holiness and purity in your life? And do you walk this earth with a certain sense of peace, even in the midst of horrific storms? Not that you're happy all the time. You're in touch with reality. Pain is pain and there's sadness that comes. But there's a part of you. You know that in the end, all things sad will become untrue. Now, Enoch, 
We hear about him another time in Hebrews 11. And the Bible says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Enoch walked with God 300 plus years. And he pursued God and he pursued holiness and he pleased God. And he believed that one day God would bring something that would escort him into eternity. And is that you? Now, I wish I could take credit for this next statement, but my father-in-law who's here actually preached on Enoch a few weeks ago, so I'm going to give him credit where credit is due. He has an uncanny way of putting things in simplicity. I think that was a compliment, but here's what he says. He said, you know, what would it be like to walk so long with God? Enoch must have just taken a walk one day, and he'd been walking for over 300 years with God, and he'd been talking with God and recognized the voice of God, so one day God said, you know what, Enoch? You've been walking so long with me that now you're closer to my home than yours. Why don't you just come on to my house? And that's what happened. God took Enoch home. I pray that you would reroute this weekend. That if you've never chosen the way of grace and the Holy Spirit of God just opened your eyes that you're on the road to works and you think it's all about how good you are, that you would submit to that road of grace and faith. Reroute now. Reroute in the season when the Spirit of God has opened your eyes. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I ask you in Jesus' name that our eyes would be open to the reality of heaven and eternity, that you have made a way, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I pray that that would open our eyes to the reason that he is the only way because he's the only one that died for our sins. He's the only one that said it's not by works, it's by grace and faith. That no man could ever measure up to any legal system. And because we know we don't measure up, we come to you for mercy and grace and we receive it in Jesus' name. I pray right now the Spirit of God would hover over this place and decisions would be made for baptism, for salvation, and the vows that have been made would be dropped at the foot of the cross and the journey would begin. Amen. Well, what a powerful message to end an awesome series. I pray that you're able to take away and apply some of these messages to your life, helping you to reroute your life and your relationship in tune with God and his son, Jesus. Next time, we'll have a brand new message from Pastor Jeff. If you never put any of those moments into practice, he says, you're like a foolish builder who builds his house, his life on a weak foundation. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.